Uh, you probably know her because she's been a part of our community for quite some time. Her name is Lynn. And I was trying to think about what I should say to introduce her. And I think the, the, the one thing that I will just share with you about Lynn is that she really loves Jesus. And that is so evident. If you ever get to have a conversation with her, you just, just be able to talk to her. Like, no matter where the conversation started, it's going to wind up at Jesus. Um, and so I'm grateful to hear what she has to say. We believe that the Word of God is living and active. And so I, I hope that as she opens up the Word of God with us today, that you will be open to say, what does God have to say to me today? So why don't you welcome up Lynn as she comes up today. Thank you, Andrew. I am grateful for your, uh, your introduction. And I am so excited and privileged to be standing for, before you this morning because you are my family of God and you love me and I love you. And it's such a privilege to be able to speak from the word of God to you. This is so much fun. Um, let me pray as we begin Holy Spirit, we know that you're already here. We acknowledge your presence in our midst. And we open our hearts and our minds to you. God, sometimes when we read the scripture, the Bible, it's, it's hard to understand. And I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would lead us to the truth of the, Holy, of the scriptures this morning that you would help us to understand what you're saying to each one of us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I am from Washington State, and I lived there for 37 years. And I can't remember ever using an umbrella in Washington State. Now, the rainy season in Washington is from January 1st to December 31st. <laughs> but when it rains in Washington state, it is very gray and it drizzles all day long, just this light rain constantly. Um, and sometimes for days and I rarely got wet. Unlike this morning when the rain drenched uh, we, in fact, we scrambled for our umbrellas this morning before we left. When I came to Boston 19 years ago, I experienced drenching rain every time it rains. And I actually get wet when it rains here. The raindrops are bigger here <laughs> than in Washington. I have bought more umbrellas here than I have in my entire life in Washington before. And I have three in my car right now. I have three more at home and I carry one with me all the time. And I have this one. And this umbrella represents the theme of walking with Jesus through stormy weather. Spiritually, it is always raining here in New England, where there are fewer Christians than anywhere else in the U.S. It's hard to find us out there. And I take my metaphorical umbrella, First John umbrella, with me 
um, everywhere I go, especially at Boston University, where I minister, where I'm a missionary, because it seems the storm is very strong there. But unlike a real um umbrella, which I can fold up and put away under the seats of my car, <laughs> uh, the message of 1 John, I have to use it all the time. I can't put it down. I can't step out from underneath it. And I thrive with Jesus in, through stormy weather by staying underneath the umbrella of his truth and the truth of who God is. Now, as you can see, I have some things, I'm sorry, people online, have some things that I've written on this umbrella. And as you can, um, uh, there, are three great th there are three great themes <laughs> of 1 John, that God became human flesh, he became a man, God is light, and God is love. Brian shared with us the truth that God became a human being, that we could see him, touch him. Well, not we. John could see him and hear him and touch him. He met him in person. And he, he talked about that Jesus never changes in the storm and that we shouldn't lose our grip on the truth that he's given us. Andrew reminded us that God is light and that we need to walk in the light. Now, John is going to circle back to these themes over and over again. That's why I love the umbrella as an image of 1 John, because he doesn't necessarily go in a straight line. Point one, point two, point three. He circles back over and over again to these themes in different ways throughout his letter. And if you've been reading First John on a regular basis, you recognize this. I'm going to put this over here. You recognize that John circles back to these themes over and over again. Now, I would like... Uh, I'd like to spend just a little bit of time on who John was. John, when he writes this letter as an old man, he's about 80 years old or maybe older. But his mind is quick and lucid and filled with the Holy Spirit. And his letter, um, he shares to his dear children in the faith. He talks about the lies of the teachers that are in the church and who have left the church and about the influence of the world on the church and some of the personal struggles with, uh, within the people of the church with their selfishness that's in them. And I, I have come to love 1 John after many years with it because John speaks with such tenderness and love in the voice that he teaches through his, to his churches. Now, I want to talk to the kids in the room. Raise your hand. Where, where are the kids? Anybody? Oh, yeah, there are kids here. All right. I'm glad you're here. So I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think about your grandparents right now. But put your grandparents in your mind. And, you know, the older kids in the room can do that too. Now, when I was a kid, 
I called my grandfather grandpa, and I called my grandmother grandma. What do you call your grandparents? What? Because I know there are lots of different names. What do you call them? Yell, yell out the name of your grandparent. What do you call them? Say it. What? You say it first. Jushi. Yes, well, that's cool. That's great. Jushi. Who says something over here? Bapo. Papo. Papo. That's a good one. I like that one. Any, any other names? Mamam? Okay. Mama. Mamo. Gosh, that's way too many languages here. <laughs> you guys are way better at it. Mary, what do you call your grandma? Just say it to me. Being shy. Oh, she's being shy. Well, no matter what we call our grandparents, I'd like you to think about your papo, your mamo, your shh. That one. <laughs> think about them. What are some things or nice things that your grandparents have done for you? Just yell it out. What do they do for you that's great? Hugs! Oh, that's a good one. I love that one. What else? What else are you? The older kids can, yeah, the, the, anybody. What do your grandparents do for you? Cooks all the time. Cooks all the time. My grandmother made the very best mashed potatoes in the world. Yes. What else? You're teaching your native language. Yes, grandpa, grandma. Who, somebody over here. Paints? Games. And you? Stories? Takes you to the store. What, is, what do they buy you at the store? To clothes and toys. Yeah, that's great. Grandparents are amazing, aren't they? they they're amazing. So, parents, speaking to you, have you ever noticed how grandparents speak differently to your kids than you do? <laughs> it's kind of funny, isn't it? Well, John does that in this letter. Kids, did you know that the writer of this letter is a, was a grandfather? He was a grandfather in the faith. And so he led some of the people to Christ that are listening to this letter being read. And then those people led some to Christ, and those people led some to Christ. And so everybody in these churches are his grandchildren in the faith. And so when we read this letter, I think it's great to remember the voice of Grandpa John, we'll call him. We hear tenderness, love, and grace. And I believe it's really important to remember that, especially because today I get to share about the third great theme, that God is love. And we get to hear this theme from the foremost expert on the love of God. John is living proof how abiding in the love of God can transform a person. So let's turn to our passage. Now I'm going to be reading, I think it's a, 1 John is 1061, page 1061 in the Pew Bibles. And your Pew Bible is called the International Standard Version. 
I have the new international version. It's going to be kind of different. Same, same manuscripts, uh, but we... Um, so it's going to be a little different. I'm going to have it up on the a board, board, and I'm going to also read it to you from my Bible. So let's read the Word of God. Chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Sounds like a song we sang this morning. This is love, not that we loved, but, God, but, but that he loved us and sent his son as a t- an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also, to, all, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Let's skip to verse 16. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. John was one of the 12 disciples and early on, he and his brother James were called the sons of thunder. They were rather prideful and arrogant and very intense. And they even tried to call lightning down on a group of people who didn't accept Jesus. These guys were were intense. But after three years with the God who is love, Jesus transformed John's identity. John became known throughout the centuries as the disciple of love. He was the only disciple who lived into old age and died of natural causes. And for his entire life, he was the one whom Jesus loved. He repeated this five times in the book of John that he wrote also. And the letter of 1 John flows out of his identity as the one whom Jesus loved. That's why he starts with the incarnation. God became a human being because he saw, touched, and heard Jesus in person and experienced the God who is love face to face. His life was transformed and his identity became who God created him to be. He knew with no doubts he was loved by God, and it changed everything for him. I think we all long for what John received from Jesus, that that love. And even though our culture sometimes uses the the word love in an unloving way, or doesn't love very well, there is still something about love that makes us all long for it. We know deep inside 
us, that we need to be part of something larger than ourselves, something that will bring warmth and security, meaning and delight. We know deep in our bones that love is essential to what it means to be human. So here's Grandpa John speaking to his children in chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. That verse comes out of his identity as the one whom Jesus loved. He knew that the Father had lavished love upon him and in turn had lavished love upon us. We are loved by God. We are the one whom Jesus loves, and his love for us is vast, high, wide, deep, and more than we can imagine. Each one of us can say, I am the one whom Jesus loves. I am the one whom Jesus loves. Say that to yourself out loud. Say it a couple times. I am the one whom Jesus loves. I am the one whom Jesus loves. But this word love means so many things. I love chocolate. Some of you love baseball. Some of you love your car. I love these shoes. I love this song. I love my children. I love my husband, Gene. I love you, Jesus. It's so easy to get confused about love and we only have one word for it. But the Greeks had four, they were smart. They had a word for family love, for brotherly and sisterly love, the love of a husband and a wife. And then they had the word agape, a servant self-giving love, agape. When John uses the word love in his letter and in his gospel, he is using the word agape. In fact, he uses agape 46 times in this letter. Wow. That means it's important. So I think we need to know. No, I, I, I don't think. I know. We need to know what this word means, agape. Because the world comes at us from the outside and storms against us with a love that is less than what God has for us. So agape begins with God. John says God is agape. God exists in a relationship and we call it the trinity. He has been giving and receiving agape love with himself for all of eternity. And he wants to share that love that he has in that relationship with us. Love is not just something that God does. It is the very heart of who God is. He's not just loving. He is love. Love originates from God, and he defines what love is by his being and actions. We see and we know what agape is by, God's, by the actions of God. And John describes them. In chapter four, 4, verse 19, he says, We love because he first loved us. 
He loved us first before we even knew him. In chapter 4, verse 9, this is how God showed us his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. The incarnation of God, God became, becoming a human being, which is one of the great themes of 1 John, is an act of great agape towards us from God. He became like us. He became human flesh. And then in chapter 3, verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his love for us. Jesus' love took him all the way to a horrific death for us. He died for us. And then in chapter 4, verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his, his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Chapter, this verse especially, 4.10, is a summing up of what agape means. God loved us first. He sent his son. He became human. He sacrificed himself for us. And he made up for the wrong that we had done through his death. He became an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We see and know what agape is through the actions of God. And so agape is an initiating, unreciprocated, self-emptying love that seeks the very best for another despite or regardless of the personal cost. It's initiating God loved us first. It's unreciprocated. He loved us even though we did not love him or might never love him. It's self-emptying. He became a weak, vulnerable human being to introduce himself to us and to God. Personal cost. He died for us. And the very best... He did the very best for us so that sin in us could be dealt with so that the Holy Spirit could live in us and change us from the inside out. Agape is an initiating, unreciprocated, self-emptying love that seeks the very best for another regardless of the personal cost. Now, Jean and I my husband, Gene, who's sitting back here, I want to thank all of you here at Mount Hope for the agape love that you have shown us. We are global partners, missionaries with Mount Hope. And we serve at Boston University uh, here in Boston. When we first moved here 19 years ago, you immediately begin to financially support us. You were one of the first churches to do so. And we are completely dependent on you and many other churches and individuals who believe in what we're doing. We do not get a salary from the Assemblies of God. None of the missionaries that you support get a salary anywhere other than from churches like you 
and individuals who believe in what we're doing. We depend on you every month. Thank you for loving us. Every Sunday that we come here, you encourage us, you pray for us, you have a group of people who pray for us while we're on the mission field at Boston University. That means so much to Gene and I. Thank you for loving us. And you have created an amazing community of faith here that we are excited to bring our students, our BU students, to every Sunday. They are in the middle of storms on campus, just like us. And here you have created a safe, accepting, loving space for all of them. Thank you for loving our students. Thank you for your example of agape love to, to us. Keep doing it with all the missionaries. It is transforming, life transforming for us. Then in John 4, verse 7, John gives us a command. Dear friends, let us love one another. And we have heard this command before. It's very familiar because Jesus said it. He said in John 13, 34 and 35, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 15, 12 through 13, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends, and you are my friends. Everything that I have said and that John says in his letter is a commentary on these two verses. These verses include our identity, the meaning of agape, and the command to love one another. Jesus says to each of us, you are the one I love, now love one another. So our love for others flows out of our identity as the one whom Jesus loves. Say that again. I'm the one Jesus loves. I'm the one Jesus loves. And Jesus says, Go and love one another. Without experiencing the love, of God, the love God has for us, we cannot agape others. We must know that we are the one whom Jesus loves. This command is impossible unless we have been transformed by the Holy Spirit in us. We sang a song, you are more than able. Anything is possible. For another person to love, agape, another person is the impossible. But God is more than able to give us the power and the ability to choose to love another. Then John says something really serious. 
In John 4.20, he says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Wow. John also says in chapter 1, verse 9, if you don't love one another, you're in darkness. In chapter 111, you're blind. In chapter 314, you're dead and you're a murderer just like Cain. In chapter 3, verse 14, I'm sorry, 17, you don't have God's love in you. In chapter 4, 8, you don't know God. And in this passage, you're a liar. Whoa, here's Grandpa John laying it on. Jesus and John dry, draw a line of love before us. And they are saying, you must make a choice. You can't straddle this line. There's no middle ground. They command us that agape must be part of our DNA if we are to call ourselves followers of Jesus. Love is one of the central ideas which expresses the whole content of the Christian faith. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. It is the most excellent way to live. And the way we were created to live. We are to we are created to live as the one whom Jesus loves. Now, I want to obey this command. But my first question is always, okay, who is one another? Now, Jesus and John define one another as everyone in the universal body of Christ. The poor, the outcast, and the stranger, and love our enemies. But we're going to focus down to here. Mount Hope, Belmont. This family of God. This body of Christ that we are part of and bound to, bound with in this Holy Spirit. Now, many of you are saying, just like me, but I do love the family of God here at Mount Hope. Uh, but I'm sure that you are thinking, just like me, about those who are easy to love. Those you already love. Your family, your friends, and those in need. And I just want to commend you all because we have received your agape love. You love well in this way. But Jesus and John always take us further. Always take us higher and deeper. Agape, God's love, reaches out to those who do not love him, might never love him, and who are hard to love. Those people are included in this command to us. So is there someone here in this family who God 
is bringing to your mind right now as I speak. Maybe it's someone who makes you uncomfortable, someone who is very different than you, who may not love you back. This person may have very different opinions than you about politics, race, the church, culture. Is there anyone in the body of Christ who you won't love? Because it is a line drawn, the line of love, and we choose whether to step over it or not. There is a line of love drawn between you and that person, whoever he or she is. Will you step over it and love them? If you won't step over it and love this person who you can see right in front of you, John challenges you that you do not love the God you cannot see. Now, the first, te- the first step, step toward another person doesn't have to be difficult. Step over the line, reach out, and start with relationship, with a friendship, just like God did with you. Introduce yourself to this person, ask questions to find out who they are and where they're from, and then listen with the Holy Spirit as you get to know them. And then the Holy Spirit will guide you to the next step of loving that person and the next step until you receive the gift that that person is that gift of who they are it is a gift even though they're very different they are a gift to you from God during our fellowship time after church great place to do this Say hi to your friends, and then find someone you don't know. Step over the line of love and make a new friend. Grandpa John goes on to encourage us to remember in chapter 4, verse 18, that God loves us with a perfect love. And we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid that we'll be rejected or I can't help everyone or I don't know how to do this. First, remember, you are the one whom Jesus loves. And out of that identity, you can love anyone, no matter how they respond to you. And second, Do for one what you would want to do for everyone. There are so many needs here and in the world. We, I say many times, I'm just a little girl in a very big world. And I can't meet all the needs. But I can do for one what I would want to do for everyone. 
And God works one person at a time, too. Some of us don't know how to love this way. And so he's not going to throw a ton of people at us. He's going to put one person's name in your mind that you need to love here in this body of Christ because he does things one person at a time. And so it is very appropriate that this morning we are going to share the Lord's Supper with each other. So if the worship team would come up. And if you do not have a, uh, the elements, uh, raise your hand and someone will grab a basket and get that for you. Does anybody not? Yeah, we have a few people here. I want to make sure everybody has it. And base camp kids, you guys, I understand that this, you'll be um, not the first time you have uh, celebrated the Lord's Supper, but this is the first time you will be taking communion in the body of Christ, in the family of God. This is exciting. I am so excited that you guys are here this morning and celebrating this with us. You know, we're celebrating. I, I, I'm excited about um, the Lord's Supper because it is all about agape. Everything about communion is about agape. That love that is initiating, unreciprocated, and self-emptying. Everything is in there. You know, on the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he said twice to his disciples, and we read the scriptures, love one another. He took them through a ritual that would forever represent his agape for us and our agape for one another. Now, I want to remind us that the criteria for taking communion is not whether we are sinners or we have sinned. Thank you, Jesus. Remember, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he shared communion with Judas, his betrayer. He knew he would betray him. He shared communion with Peter, who betrayed him three times that night. Jesus knew that would happen. And he shared communion with all his disciples who would run away the night he was arrested and crucified, except for one, the one whom Jesus loved, John, stood at the foot of Jesus' cross and watched him die. So have you sinned is not the question God asks us when we come to this table. If it was, none of us could take communion. Because we have sinned. And we are sinners. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 and 17, Paul says this. Is not the cup of thanksgiving... For which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. We'll get to that later. And then listen to this. Is not the bread that we break 
a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. This loaf represents all of us together. Each one of us is a piece of this loaf. So when Paul gives us instruction in 1 Corinthians on sharing communion together, it is our relationships with each other he wants us to examine. The question that God is most concerned about is, have I loved the body of Christ the way Christ loved me? Will you stand with me and take the elements? The top container, well, one of the containers holds a piece of bread, and the opposite holds the juice. Jesus says to us, remember, this bread is a symbol of all of you together. A reminder from Jesus to love one another. It is also a symbol of how far he went to love you by giving his body to death so that you could know you are the one whom Jesus loves. Now, as you hold the element of the bread, I would like you to ask the Holy Spirit in prayer, what, what are you saying, Holy Spirit, to me about how I should love others here at Mount Hope? Now, I'll give you a few minutes of silence to pray, how am I what are you saying to me about how I love others here at Mount On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks to God. And he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. I've given you each other and I've given my body to you. When you eat this, remember me. You may take the bread. With the cup, we are filled with thanksgiving and joy and celebration. Our sins are forgiven. Not only our sins, but the sins that we've committed against each other are forgiven by Jesus Christ. Through his blood, we have his presence living in us, giving us the hope and anticipation that he will teach us what agape is. He has given us the life-transforming truth that he loves us 
and we are all the one whom Jesus loves. He will give us the power to love one another as he has loved us. Jesus, we pray. We take this cup with gratitude and amazement that God is love. And this is how you showed your love among us. You sent your one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved you, but that you loved us and sent your son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Thank you, Jesus. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he said, this is my blood that is shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. When you drink this, remember how much I love you and love one another. Take the cup. We have shared a sacred ritual together. And through this act, we have been bound together in God's love. So now what will you do this week? You've experienced God's love by taking the bread and the juice, the wine. What are you going to do this week? I want you to take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit how he wants you to love and who he wants you to love this week. And then as your first act of agape towards that person, pray for a blessing on them. Let's think about that. Let's pray to the Holy Spirit. Who do you want me to love? And I pray for this person. And now let's celebrate the love of God for us and in us and to each other. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.